Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. You could all be seated. Thanks for joining us in person or online. I'm just going to give you a moment as we practice some silence and solitude. If you can bow your heads with me so that we could center ourselves, so that we can hear from the Lord to our hearts. So in a moment, we're going to exhale. Let's exhale. Just all the automatic ruminating thoughts that might be weighing you, weighing on you this season or this week and bring it to the house of the Lord and inhale the presence of God. And has promised that when we cast our cares upon him, he will carry our burdens from us and give us a transcending peace. Sarah Young, Jesus Calling, December 4th. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and thoughts higher than yours. Remember who I am When you spend time with me, marvel at the wonder of being able to communicate with the king of the universe. Any time, any place, never take this amazing privilege for granted. Though I am vastly higher and greater than you, I am training you to think my thoughts. As you spend time in my presence, my thoughts gradually form in your mind. My spirit is the director of this process. Sometimes he brings Bible verses to mind. Sometimes he enables you to hear me speak directly to you. These communications strengthens you and prepares you for whatever is before you in your journey. Take time to listen to my voice. Through your sacrifice of precious time, I bless you far more than you dare ask or imagine. All God's people pray. Now we're going to invite our lay leader, Stu Stowe, to come up with his prodigious mind and tender heart and really sexy voice. Let's welcome him. Really really sexy voice. Well, I did a lot of yelling on Friday and Saturday at a couple of sporting events, so I don't know how sexy he's going to be today. But it's not about that. It's about God today, right? Uh, So here I am. This is going to be my last sermon for uh, this year, Um, and I'm going to be finishing up my little series on calling. I'm going to not be speaking on that for a little while. At least that's the plan. Who knows what will actually happen. But in this series, we've talked about where we get the calling from, how we hear it from God's voice, how we hear it from his quiet voice, and he calls us to something greater, but not necessarily something easy. And we talked about how our job is not our calling. It's not about our job, but it's a job is where we can live our calling. It's where we can show 
who Christ is and represent him well to the people in our spheres of influence. And we've talked about how when we are weary from the call, God will give us rest. He will give us hope and he will give us help in that. So today, what we're going to talk about is what does it look like to actually succeed in your calling? And that's kind of an important thing, right? Just a little bit of important thing because we want to know if we're doing this thing right, right? So what do we do when we want to know what success looks like? A lot of times we look to other people that are successful, other people who have made their mark on the world. And um, I asked a question on my Facebook page, and I guess not many people use it anymore because it didn't get too many responses. But um, some people said that you know, when they think of people who are the greatest of all time, people who led their field, we get names like uh, these three people up here. People like Michael Jordan, people like Wayne Gretzky, people like Babe Ruth. Um, one person even threw out, um, oh my gosh, I am forgetting his name. How can I forget his name? Anman, what was his name? Stanley Kubrick, I am embarrassed for forgetting that. Excuse my brain fart, Stanley Kubrick. 2001, A Space Odyssey, great movie. Anyway, um, so we think about people like that, people who made their mark on the world. And if we expand that beyond sports and entertainment, we start to think about people like Steve Jobs. We think about people like Jeff Bezos, maybe Bill Gates. I know he's a bit of a controversial figure right now, but you could even throw Elon Musk in there. These are people who made an impact in their field and made a couple of bucks while they were at it. But is this what success in our call looks like? That's a big question that we have to ask because if we assume that success in the call is the same way that we gain success in the world, we're going to start chasing after success the same way that the world chases after success. And I would submit to you guys that success in the call, success in living for God's kingdom is radically different than what success in the world looks like. And again, if we start chasing after success in the call, the same way we chase after success in the world, we're gonna go off on a wrong path and we're gonna, we're gonna go down a rabbit hole that's not gonna help us actually live our call. So today what we're gonna do is we're gonna turn to Matthew chapter three as well as a couple of other passages in scripture. And since we've already talked about like some of the goats that got success in the world, we're gonna talk about one of the goats that Jesus mentions, he mentions John the Baptist. So we're going to turn to John, um, sorry, Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to talk about that. Now, when we look at Matthew's gospel in this chapter, we get an introduction to who John is. And he's a little bit of a wild man. He's a little bit of a, a hermit. He's a little bit of that person just living out in the mountains that's living a little bit differently than everyone else. And this is what it says in Matthew's gospel. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Judea and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. 
So we look at John, we look at him in his camel hair outfit, we look at him eating wild locusts and honey, we look at him living out in the wilderness, even by those modern standards at the time. This is not the image of what success looks like. This is not the image of someone that people would flock to for advice. And yet we see people coming from all over the region coming to this man to hear what he has to say, to be baptized by him, to see what it is that he is preaching. And for him, he was living his call. And it didn't matter all of the rest of the stuff, all of the things that made it look like he was being successful. It was just he had exactly what he needed in order to live his call, to be the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make way for the Lord, make his path straight. That's all he needed. For him, it was more important to live his call than to look successful. Now, a lot of the Gospels, all of the Gospels, in fact, say a little bit about John the Baptist. There is some that talks about him specifically, and then there are parts where Jesus speaks about him. And we're going to look at some of these as well, just to do a little compare and contrast from John and some of the other people. So let's go down to this next passage. If we look in Mark 12, Jesus is saying, as he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished severely. So Jesus is saying that many of these teachers of the law, many of these Pharisees and Sadducees that look important, that project that image of importance and success and all of these things, they're actually missing the point. They're missing the point of what it means to live for God's kingdom, what it means to live a call that points to God's kingdom. And they're actually devouring, as he said, widows' houses. They are leading people astray. So there's a difference between John, who did not look like a success, and the Pharisees, who actually weren't a success, right? And going down to Matthew chapter 11, again, Jesus is speaking about John. As John's disciples were leading, or were leaving rather, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So John wasn't someone that conformed to the look of success in the world. He didn't dress like a success. He didn't live where people that were, looked successful lived. He didn't act like people who were successful acted. I mean, even in today, uh, Jesus says, did you go out to see a reed swayed by the wind? Did you see someone that was swayed by public opinion? And no one here nowadays, we don't, we, we're, we're not afraid of getting canceled. We're willing to speak our mind about anything, right? Maybe not so much. But that's what success in the call looked like for John, to be that voice in the wilderness, that voice that spoke truth, that voice 
that was not conforming to the success of the world, but living his call to proclaim the Messiah that was to come. And Jesus throws even a bigger curveball. He says that even though there is no one greater than John the Baptist, the least in the kingdom will be greater than him. The world looks for certain things in success. They look to looking successful, to being successful, to putting out those results, all these sort of things to go along with, to get along with. But that's not how it works in God's kingdom. It's about speaking truth. It's about pointing to the Messiah. It's about living the call that God has for you, regardless of how it may look. Because again, being successful in your call, it may look very radically different from what success in the world looks like. And that's something that we have to be aware of so that we don't fall into the trap of looking successful, but being as unsuccessful as the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the brood of vipers that Jesus and John often spoke against. When you think about successful CEOs in the world, you usually conjure up images of high authority figures, big salaries, you know, fancy suits, the whole nine yards. But one of the more successful CEOs in the last 40 or 50 years or so was a guy by the name of James Senegal. He started out as a grocery bagger back in the 50s and slowly from that very low position, slowly worked his way up different corporate ladders, eventually became an executive vice president of one company or another. And in 1983, he opened up, I don't know, maybe you guys have heard of this very small company called Costco. Let's put this picture up. Does that look like a CEO to you? Yes? I wish more CEOs did look like him. This is the now retired CEO, former CEO of Costco, who would wear his own name tag. It said, hi, my name is Jim. I've been an employee from Costco from 1983, when he opened up the company. He would go to every Costco throughout the year. He made it a point to go and work the floor at every Costco and meet the people that were working for him. When he was in his office, he didn't have some assistant answering his phone. He answered it himself. And do you want to know what his base salary was in 2011 when he retired? A whopping $350,000. Now, granted, he had stock options and all sorts of stuff like that. It bumped it up to about $2.2 million. But if you think about it, the average salary for a CEO with all of the perks and, sal and you know, stock options included last year was $4.4 million. And this is the guy who runs like the second biggest retailer in the United States. Compare that with some of the other CEOs of the early 2000s. The ones who made sure that they were getting their salaries paid, getting their stock options, getting their bonuses, making sure that they were getting everything they could out of their company. Something like Bear Stearns, where their CEO made $40 million the year before that company went bust and took, I don't know, about half the US economy with it. Or you think about um, what's the uh, cryptocurrency uh, fund that just went bust yesterday or uh, last month? Uh, FTX, yeah. Looks like they're swimming in money. They're, they're the third biggest cryptocurrency, um, whatever. I still don't understand crypto. I just don't get it. All I know is they were making money. They were sponsoring all kinds of things. If you watched baseball, you saw all the umpires have a little FTX logo on them. All of a sudden, boom, billions of dollars wiped out.
look like success? Not actual success. Now, obviously, living for Christ is a little bit different than being a CEO, even a, a humble CEO like Jim Senegal. But my point in bringing up all of this is to say that success in the kingdom, success in your call, is not always going to look like success the way the world portrays it. It's not going to be the same way. The way the world judges success is not the way actual success is and definitely not how success in your call is. So that's my first point if we can put that up. Success in the call does, no, does not look like success in the world. John the Baptist was not someone who conformed to the idea of success in the world. And that's a lesson that we all need to learn for ourselves as well. If we want to be successful in our call, it may mean that we will look radically different than what other people consider a success. It may mean someone says, hey, why don't we blow $10,000 and let's go on vacation for a month? And you say to them, you know what? I'd love to do that, but I serve at my church every Sunday. What, are you weird or something? No. I'm living my call. I'm not saying, just to put it out there, I'm not saying don't be successful. I am not saying that in any way, shape, or form. I am not saying to anybody here, trade in your Banana Republic and your polo clothes and go get a camel hair tunic and a leather belt. I am not saying stop eating at Shake Shack and Kava, or if you're fancy, going to eat at Capitol Grill. I am not saying stop eating there and go eat locusts and wild honey. You guys know how I eat. I am not trading in my hamburgers for locusts. I'm not doing that. Ain't no way in heck. Anyway, I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is don't pursue success in the world at the expense of success in your call. And this is something I actually had to learn the hard way. I never really figured myself as someone that chased success, that chased promotions or chased you know bigger paychecks or anything like that. I got into civil service. I got into that so I didn't have to work hard. Unfortunately, I found out, I actually do kind of chase promotions. I did kind of do that. And I found out a little bit too late in the game that the last promotion I chased actually took me away from how I could live my call. With the promotion came longer hours, more responsibilities. Yeah, bigger paycheck that I can tithe from, but it took me away from being able to connect with people, to talk with people, to do life with people. And that was a massive regression in how I could live my call. And I would much rather that you guys don't fall into that same kind of a trap. Excuse me. So that's my question for you guys today is, are you confusing success in the call with success in the world? Are you chasing after success in the world at the expense of success in your call? And it's my prayer that you guys would realize that Success in the call may look radically different than success in the world. It's not going to take the same form, but it is going to be something that means a lot more because success in the world, it will come and it will go and you can do something amazing in the world today and tomorrow the world will forget about you. But when you live success in your calling, people will remember you and your effect will be felt throughout lifetime. It's why we still talk about John the Baptist among other things. So if success in the, in the call does not look like success in the world, all right, what does it look like? Let's go down into this next passage. And here we're actually going to be reading from Luke's gospel. And I know I keep bouncing around from 
Mark, to Matthew, to Luke, a lot of the uh, gospel authors, they wrote to different audiences. And this is just a little, little, little learning moment for you guys. A lot of the authors wrote to different audiences and highlighted different things. And it's always a good idea to read the gospels in tandem so that you can pick up things that one gospel may have mentioned that another one didn't. And I'm, I chose Luke here because this includes a little bit of how John was speaking to the people who would come to him to be baptized, who would come to live in repentance. And as we read here from Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 10, what should we do then, the crowd asked. <clears throat> Excuse me. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So what John is doing in the midst of this is he's teaching the people not to look just to themselves, not to look to just be successful for themselves, but how they could live to serve others and live for other people. It's very contradictory, even today, to the way the world does about looking after number one. Because who's number one? Me, right? Looking after number one. I got to look after myself. And honestly, just as a little bit of a side rant, I think that's one of the biggest problems in the world. Too many people are too concerned about making sure I get mine before I look after somebody else. And it doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum, whether you're from the lowest of the low or you're from the highest of the high. Too many people are looking after themselves before they look after other people. But that's a side rant. I don't want to get off topic. I digress. John is telling them to drop this me first attitude. Stop focusing on yourself. Focus on those in need. Focus on others. It's very similar to when one of the Pharisees challenged Jesus. What are the greatest commandments? And Jesus said, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your spirit, your mind, your strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he's teaching them to not look at themselves, but look to another. So let's go down to the next part of the passage, just right after that. And again, this is one of the pieces of Scripture that is constant in all four of the Gospels, and it kind of just shows how important it is. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Again, John is telling people, don't just focus on yourself. Don't focus on your needs. Start focusing on others. But he's also living that as well. He's saying, I am not the Messiah. I am not the most important person in this story. There is one coming who is greater than me. He is pointing people to the Messiah, to Jesus. He was the voice saying, get everybody ready. Get people ready for the Messiah who is to come. That was his call, not to point people to himself, but to point others to the Messiah, to Christ. And honestly, that's what success in the kingdom looks like. 
It's not about looking to ourselves. It's not about anything to do with us, but it's about putting the focus on Jesus. Doc has been talking in his Bible series how the Old Testament, it's all about pointing to the person of Jesus. The New Testament, it's all about pointing back to the person of Jesus. Our call is to represent Christ well. It's all about pointing to him. So if your, if your interactions with people point to the person of Christ, it leads them into a relationship with Christ. It gets them even in the orbit of who Christ is. You're living your call successfully. Kind of simple, kind of almost crazy simple, but that's what it is to be successful in the call. And that's my second point. Success in the call means pointing away from oneself and pointing towards Christ. Now, the funny thing about this is that this doesn't mean that being successful in the call means you're going to have a success of results. Let me say that again because it doesn't make sense because in the world, in order for you to be successful, you have to have results, right? Like if you work at some kind of a tech firm, your boss gives you a project, says, I want this database done by Friday. And you walk in on Friday and say, boss, I really tried. I, I really gave it my all, but it just didn't quite work out. There are a couple of bugs in it, but you know, I, I gave it the old try, right? You're probably not gonna have a good meeting with your boss, right? But when it comes to being successful in your call, there's no guarantee that there will be success. You can do things perfectly. You can point to Christ. You can die to yourself and live for Christ. You can do all the prayers, all of the works, all of the things, and sometimes it's just not going to work out because unfortunately we do live in a fallen world. Um, I remember, and I think I've mentioned this once before, I had a, um, a family member a couple of steps removed that was going through a rough time. And I remember trying to do all the things to lead him into, into a relationship with Christ. All the prayers, all of the conversations, everything under the sun. And it just didn't work. Because unfortunately with free will and sometimes with the traumas of the world, there will be people who will reject Christ. It is an unfortunate reality to it. But that doesn't mean we get discouraged. That doesn't mean we stop trying. It doesn't mean that because we tried and we don't see the success that we wanted right then and there that we're a failure. Because sometimes we're just planting the seeds. We're starting that person on that journey and we may not see that journey completed. Maybe not in our relationship with them, maybe not in our lifetime. Maybe it happens sometimes after we've you know, fallen out of relationship with them. Or maybe it doesn't happen. But for us to live our call, all it takes, it doesn't take perfection, it doesn't take results. It takes progression and it takes obedience. It's in being that obedience that says, I will represent Christ well to those that I come into contact with. I will humble myself before Christ. I will remove the things that take me away from Christ. I will stop looking at myself and look towards Christ. That is success in the call. It's living in that kind of obedience. So my question for you guys, are you pointing not to yourself, but to Christ? And are you getting discouraged like in living your call? Are you looking to yourself as the reason why, like, hey, this is why it didn't work out because I screwed it up. It's a common reaction, especially given the way the world looks at success because if you don't get results, you blew it. But that's not how it actually works. It's about 
being that obedience to Christ. So are you pointing others towards Christ? Are you putting your hope that he will be the one to make that difference in people's life, to be the ultimate change in their life? And I pray that we would look to Christ as that hope, not only in our lives, but in other people's lives. And as we mentioned, like during announcements, this is the season of Advent where we focus on the coming of Christ, where we focus on his birth. And we have these lovely banners up here, all of the things that we focus on, the gifts that he gives us during Advent. The first one right there is hope. It's not a hope in ourselves, but it's a hope that Christ has come. Christ came to give us a chance of reconciliation and reunion with God. He came so that he could live his call in perfect obedience, even though he was fully God and fully man, perfect obedience to the Father to preach the good news, to go in obedience to the cross, to die on the cross so that we could have salvation in him. And it's my hope that we would all recognize that during this Advent season, that our hope comes from him, who has already conquered sin and death. All we have to do is just point others towards him. That is the simplicity of success in the call. Not looking at ourselves, but looking to him and pointing others to him. So would you guys stand with me and pray today? So Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you give us hope. You give us hope that you have come and conquered sin and death and that you have given us a new relationship with you, with God, and that we can point others in that direction, the direction of a relationship with you in salvation in you. And I pray, Father, that in the moments where we're living our call, we would remember that it's not the way the world does success. Otherwise, it would just be trying to be a megachurch, but it's about having those individual relationships that point people towards you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus' gospel is always about the upside-down kingdom. Jesus said, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to be the greatest, you must be the servant of all. Now, to, it, to the optics of the first century, in the New Testament era, to many, and to the disciples, the Pharisees and Sadducees, Jesus actually failed. Because in their framework, they thought the Messiah would restore the kingdom of David. The glory, the power, the splendor of that outly success. And in many ways, the gospel is an upside-down paradigm. There's not a theology of power, the New Testament teaches. It, it actually teaches a theology of weakness. It is in our, what? Weakness where Christ's power is what? Made perfect. The gospel only makes sense in our weakness. Yeah, you might be a professor of surgery. Medical school, there are two of them. One at Columbia. Columbia. And, um, but that's not what's powerful. What's powerful is 
but I don't have it all together. I actually, if you looked at my life and I was vulnerable and I was honest, I have a lot of messed up stuff here I'm working through. That, when you share your weakness and when you confess your brokenness, is when the ambiguity about why people need Jesus, secular people, smart people, gifted people, need a savior. Not you can't be a hero of your own journey. And that's when the buck stops. That's when the penny drops. And that's when grace becomes sweet. My greatest fear for 180, and I'll tell you what it is. You want to know what my greatest fear is? Having too many good-looking people. No, that's not my fear at all. I should have never thought of that once. Just joking. <laughs> my greatest fear is that we'll have successful people at our church that will fail spiritually. Because success in the world is enough. You'll be admired. All the parents will boast about you and to their families, and you'll look like a success. It'll look like you gained the whole world. But what does Jesus say in the gospel? What does it profit a person to gain the whole world but loses his soul? Because it's easy to forfeit what's the most valuable, what's most central for literally what's peripheral, which is worldly success at the heart of if you fail to live the kingdom's values out. I'll tell you why 180 is successful. It's not because we have successful people. No, we have successful people that in the eyes of the world, it, it might look stupid. Tell someone it might look, it's stupid. It's stupid when you're going to medical school to commute two hours to go to small group every week. Tell someone that that's stupid. Be like, well, I got to compete with these people. You know, Bill Gates' daughter is one of the residency program here at Mount Sinai. She, you know, I don't have a backup plan. She does billions of dollars. But we've seen disciples that apparently did foolish things, yet they still, God's grace and power, they showed that you can grow spiritually and still compete in this world and at the same time be more sane. Because sometimes success at the cost of soul means nothing in the end. And that's the examination of this calling today as we close out this series. How are you, what kind of values are you really living out in your life? Is it enough for you to get the praises of people? Or is seeking, seek, the kingdom of God first, to seek his kingdom first, just words. But I'll give you good news. You're like, okay, I'm going to seek God's first. Everybody's conflicted with that. Seek ye first the kingdom. And then Jesus says, but your father knows you need these things, and all these things shall be added unto you, right? Remember that? So all those physicians that did that, did become chiefs, did end up where they needed to. Andrew Lee says a lot of times, hey man, I'm not perfect, but people who graduated from Harvard ended up where I'm at, so I'm pretty good. <laughs> While not sacrificing, living out 
what it means to be a Christian in the world. And that's the examination we want to make today. I think this is very important. I want you to look 30 years from now. You're going to succeed in life and then fail spiritually and fail your family. Have no values of the kingdom of God, the word of God, the poverty of our heart forming our family nine. That's the examination we want to make today. So will you pray with me right now? As we come before the Lord today. Father, we want to come before you today and confess our weakness to want prestige, to want success, to want a little more acclaim. Or we would most likely all live in Wisconsin or misery. <laughs> like because it brings you misery in Missouri. But we're here in New York. So if you're in New York, you're here for a reason, right? You're a bit neurotic. You're a bit ambitious. And that's okay. But again, Jesus says to you today, as he told his disciples, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you as well. But the order is important. Can we examine that just honestly right now? As we sing and make this our prayer. Turn your eyes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full to his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. Turn your eyes. So Jesus, we come before you for the seeker, the gospel and the cross and Jesus will not make sense until you grapple with your own weakness of leading your own life. And that's actually impossible. You, we put ourselves in predicaments, no matter what capacity you have for your life and how smart you are. And that's sometimes often the greatest problem. We think we're smart, and that pride gets us in precarious situations that hurt ourselves and the people we care about the most. And so that's what the Bible calls sin. And if that sin, and you could try to 
conquer it through your own willpower and goodness and human will, but it comes and goes and it continues to hurt people. Or you got to change the paradigm. You got to literally get Jesus to come and begin to change the heart and begin to lead your life. And that's the seekers. For the believer, this willful blindness, this stubbornness that we have that wants to do things independently, that hides our weakness. But how is anyone going to know that you're a Christian and you're saved if you don't live in vulnerability and weakness and brokenness and you don't share that as a value? Then people are just going to think you're awesome and you believe in God because, oh yeah, they're awesome. That's why they believe in God. God and they are awesome together. But the point is to eliminate any ambiguity who the real hero is in our journey, right? Jesus. And when Jesus becomes clear and how he works in our lives becomes clear, that's when people go, oh, I see. And then we can talk about our weaknesses, our sins, and our brokenness together. And that's when the gospel and the power of God comes. Amen? Let's bow our heads for the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say, amen. God, go in peace. everyone. Welcome back. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Um, my name is Janice. I'm a member here at 180 and I have some um, announcements to give you all. Uh, first, we have um, how we can give to the church. There are many ways that you can give to the church, whether it's for tithing or for purchases. Um, I want to remind our members to continue to tithe faithfully and keep God at the center of your finances. Um, so you can give with Zelle, Venmo, or PayPal. And if you're new, there's no obligation to give. But if you feel led to do so, you can do so in the methods I just mentioned. Next, um, we have various ways that we can connect with God and with uh, members in our community. Uh, first, we have social media. We have many social media outlets, starting with 180BRG on Instagram. You can get a daily snippet of the Bible as a reminder of God's word throughout the day. Uh, we also have other social media accounts, including our Facebook page, Dr. Sammy's Twitter page, um, and we also have our YouTube page. Um, feel free to follow along with us during the week. Um, and if you can't make it to service, but you like to follow along or you want to share the message with someone who can't make it to service, we also have live stream every Sunday on our YouTube page so you never have to miss out wherever you are. Um, just as a reminder, similar to Thanksgiving, we will have holiday remote service on December 25th and January 1st, so we won't be here, we will be online. Next, we have small group, and it's a great way to connect with one another and go deeper in the message. Um, it's a place to grow and ask questions and meet other people in our community. Um, we have different small groups that meet uh, throughout the week. Virtually, we have adult and young adult groups, um, and the college group meets in person. You can see the screen times for um, the times and places. Um, next, we have an abundance of resources here at 180 to help you in your journey of faith. Um, we have books of daily devotionals that's available for purchase at the 180 Cafe. 
these books can inspire us and help us connect with God daily. Um, and if you like to purchase, the prices are listed and you can do so with the e-payments method that I just mentioned. Um, we also have a new addition to the bookstore, which is Doc's new book, A Holy Haunting. We do have copies available for purchase at the cafe, but it will be available soon, uh, widely available online and in bookstores. Um, please continue to keep this book in prayer, um, as well as the friends and family that you want to invite in this journey of faith. Um, I know for many of us, it's not easy to evangelize, especially as we get older. Um, but this is a great, this book is a great way to introduce others to God. Um, and it's a great way for us to reflect on our own journey of faith. So I encourage all of you to read it, to share it, to buy it for your friends, um, and be reminded of our purpose um, to join God's mission to spread the good news. Speaking of God's mission, we had another successful 180 Care Package event at NYU. Thank you for everyone, for all the prayers and the donations. Um, all 250 care packages were given out with Dr. Sammy's book, and we've already been hearing some awesome testimonies of non-Christian students who've been attending and connecting with our friends at the Christian clubs at NYU. So let's pray that these planted seeds will truly bring renewal to the NYU campus. Um, and for these students to meet Christ and join the family of God. Um, thank you all for your support, and let's continue to pray for these verges. Um, while you're at the 180 Cafe, you can complete your cozy winter look with hot coffee and some 180 swag. Um, it's a collection of sweatshirts that can keep you warm this winter season, so definitely purchase one, show off your 180 pride, um, and you can do so based on the honor system um, for the e-payments that I previously mentioned. And lastly, we have our prayer uh, hotline. This is a resource for those who need prayer, those who want to pray for others, and those who don't want to pray alone. Um, you can email us, and it will be strictly confidential, at prayer at 180church.tv. Next, we have Advent season. As you know, we are now in December, um, and today is a season of Advent. Uh, this is a season in the church where we reflect on the birth of Jesus Christ. We are reminded of the meaning behind his arrival here on earth 2,000 years ago and the promise of his return. So let's continue to prepare our hearts from now leading up until Christmas to reflect on the true meaning of Christmas. Um, and lastly, we have different ways that we can serve in this community um, because volunteers are the backbone to what keeps 180 running. Um, so we're looking for volunteers at the cafe and bookstore. Uh, come help literally and spiritually serve this community with hot coffee or tea before or after service. Um, Sunday school, come help our littlest members get to know the love of Jesus better. There's going to be an explosion coming very quickly, so we would love to have more help. Um, exhibit A. Um, <laughs> Uh, we are also looking for techies. We love our technology, and if there's a platform, we're on it, except for TikTok. But we're always looking to build an online presence, so if you have a knack for these things, we'd love to have you help us. Um, and greeters, we would love to have more people who want to be that friendly face, welcoming the new and old faces to church on Sunday. So if you're interested in helping out in any of the ways I mentioned, please see our greeters in 180 Swag or at the cafe, and they can help you get connected. 